0: for our workers. Don, I'm going to ask you to come at this time. Uh, Dr. Don Locke is our speaker for today, and we lined this up last fall, late fall, and um, he was um, speaking in Ohio. Don is the executive director of Word of Life Ministries. Most of you are familiar with Word of Life. We've already talked about it a couple times. We use Word of Life, their church ministries here. Many of you know uh, Mary Hawkins, who grew up in our church. She's a Word of Life missionary, she and Brad, missionaries to South Africa, and the Word of Life Bible Institute is familiar to many. Uh, Don was speaking, speaking in chapel at Cedarville, is that right?
1: No, I was well, sent for meetings. I'll be in chapel in a
0: few weeks there. In a few weeks there, all right. Been meetings at Cedarville, all right. And so, But we are privileged today, so would you please take your uh, Bible and open it up and open your heart as Don comes to encourage us. Don, welcome.
1: Well, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Are we on? It's great to be in Michigan. I don't come to Michigan, at least this part of Michigan, a whole lot. Usually out in western Michigan, but great to be with you today. And this is a uh, really an incredible time for Word of Life as we uh, look to re- really position the ministry by God's grace uh, to reach even more people for Jesus Christ. We're now in about 73 countries and some incredible things happening over this next year. I can't mention the country specifically because you're on radio, but... Uh, a couple countries in, in Asia that we're getting ready to launch into that would be uh, very difficult to get into, and uh, wide open doors for us right now. And in fact, we had set a goal over the next few years to actually be positioned to reach another billion people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, believe it or not. And so we're seeing that happen in a big way. Uh, some really neat things, just had uh, our opening weekend of snow camp up in uh, Scroon Lake, New York, and uh, actually have a packed out, We're just completely full. And also down at Word Life Florida, our camp's up about 300% this year. Down there, we, have a, we call it sand camp, affectionately. It doesn't snow down there. Um, but we saw about 40 come to Christ the other night. So what a great start to the season and thankful for what God is doing. And, uh, you know, I could tell you story after story of what God is doing, and it's just it's about God's grace, uh, a story of grace in each life uh, around the world. We actually saw about 160,000 people come to Christ just in the last year. And as you start adding it all up around the world, it's pretty overwhelming. And, and you think about one life at a time that God changes and brings to, to himself. What an amazing thing. Well, it's great to be here with Nathan. And sorry your family's not feeling so hot today, but we'll take you. And if you're sick, just stay away from us. But uh, it, is, it is a joy to be be with Nathan this weekend. <clears throat> you probably know about the Word of Life Bible Institutes. We actually have 16 campuses now, and uh, many of them are accredited and uh, i just came a few days ago from our campus in new york was also in florida about a week ago as well and uh, i can't think of a better place to spend at least a year to get into the word of god and to really get prepared for life and a uh, life of serving jesus christ so I encourage you, if you're in high school or beyond or maybe in college and thinking about some other path it's an incredible place to come we actually have uh, i mentioned we're accredited so our credits transfer Uh, To places like Cedarville, for example, we have students that go on to med school, they go on to all different walks of life, many into full-time, so-called full-time ministry, missions, pastorate, that kind of thing, but uh, our credits transfer over, and what's kind of neat, we've been working with a number of universities and colleges across America, and uh, now in many cases we're offering our students to come at about a 50% discount. And so we're working pretty hard at this right now. It's neat to see uh, many colleges asking for our students to come. They usually come into leadership roles there, RAs. That also helps the bill, the bill as well, by the way. But we've got to talk to you about that. Nathan's here. I'll be here after. And my wife, Darla, is down here. Just kind of wave. You can meet her afterwards as well. Hey, I should mention that our Sending Church, we're, we are missionary status at Word of Life. Our Sending Church is an IFCA church. And it's called Calvary Bible Church. And it's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, so uh, we love you. What a great place to come. I feel like we're home. And uh, so we we certainly love uh, what you're doing here and very thankful that God has, many years ago, said 175 years old or so. That's amazing. Been around for a while. Keep it going. Uh, Let's get the gospel out and make a difference in this part of the country and all over the world for Jesus Christ. Very thankful for you. Well, I love to collect stories. I have a lot, as you can imagine, I have some really crazy stories I could share with you a lot of airplane stories and. And uh, all sorts of interesting things that have happened. I uh, remember I was on a, on a plane in Nigeria, and we' were just in the process of exploring a, a new field and uh, I was on an airplane with chickens. Um, it, it was It was really crazy. matter of fact, uh, there was a fight that broke out before we took off. The door was still open, and some Muslim clerics wanted to get on the airplane, and so uh, they bumped a bunch of passengers. And there was actually a fist fight on the steps going up. To As we were getting ready to pull away, and the plane started moving. These guys were pushing people down the stairs. It was crazy. I'm like, what am I doing here? But one amazing thing is we went and uh, saw, we've seen God do some amazing things. For example, in West Africa, I'll tell you one crazy story. Uh, I just shared this at our missions conference in uh, New York with our students there. Um, you just can't make this kind of stuff up. We were in Nigeria, didn't have many contacts. We're in the, in the middle of the country, a place called Jos. And if you know, the country's r- roughly about half uh, Muslim or so. And uh, so we just had run out of contacts and said, Lord, we don't know what to do. In fact, we found out there's actually a limitation on missionaries in Nigeria. They have what's called a missionary quota. And we talked to a number of different mission boards, and they all said, we're sorry. Our quota is full. It's been reduced. We can't get into the country. And I remember Peter and I, we were there. He was, became our director in Nigeria. We got, were in this crummy motel room. We just had, literally had chicken bones for dinner. And uh, I just said, Lord, I don't know what we're doing here. We're out of contacts, out of connections. Um, We got on our knees and prayed. I'll never forget what Peter prayed. It blew me away. He said, God, would you give me in my lifetime a million Muslims to reach with the gospel? I thought, Peter, we we just had chicken bones for dinner. We don't know who to talk to tomorrow. We're stuck. You can't get a a million. You got to be. As as he's praying, I'm like, Lord, you got to be kidding me. Uh, Oh, you have a little faith, right? And I said, Lord, I'm just thinking about tomorrow. Would you please give us some kind of connection? So we woke up in the morning and I had this thought come into my mind. It was a, a God thought. You know, the Lord was directing me towards something. I remember there's an organization here in West Africa called EQUA, the Evangelical Church of West Africa. And Nigeria is a, really an African superpower. you got millions, 120 million people plus there. And I thought... I don't know where this place is, but if there's a headquarters, I can ask somebody. So I went down and asked a taxi driver, and he said, "Yes, you're actually five minutes away from the denominational headquarters for Equa." Like you've got to be kidding me! Well, take us there. Well, for a lot of money, he ripped us off. He took us there, <laughs> and uh, so we ended up in this, this office, this very large uh, building complex. And uh, I saw that uh, I saw a secretary in there, and I said, "Hey, c- can we meet with the general secretary of Equa?" So, he's a very busy man. I don't know if he'll receive you, but he travels all over the world, but he's actually here today. And this is not an exaggeration. They ushered us into his office. And so there we are. And I see this man uh, across the desk. And he sees me. And I said to him, I said, Musa, his name was Moses, Musa. I said, Musa, what are you doing behind that desk? And he said, Don Locke, what are you doing in my country, in Nigeria? You see, I went to Dallas Seminary. And Musa was one of my students, and I was a teaching assistant there, and he was, one of the one, he was a student that had a lot of trouble. We had tr- he had difficulty with his grades and papers. I flunked him out on a few things, and he remembered all that, by the way. <clears throat> but he said, what are you doing here, man? I said, well, we're here. To, we like to start Word of Life in Nigeria, and, and we're a little, frankly a little discouraged today, but God's brought us here to you. And we found out there was a missionary quota. He, he laughed to say, he said, don't, he said, don't worry about a thing. He said, did you realize that ECWA is the only organization in all of West Africa that doesn't have a quota with the government? He said, welcome to Nigeria. When do you want to get here? Within two months, we were there. And uh, he said, I, he began to throw open the doors. To, he said, we have 6,000 churches. Would you like to help us with our youth ministries across West? I'm like, you think? We'd love to do that. And uh, so crazy, crazy. I actually met one of the kings in Nigeria after that. So it was kind of an incredible open door uh, for us that we never expected. You never know what God's going to do in uh, making a way for the gospel of Jesus. Just be open, just be receptive, receptive to what God wants. So lots of stories. We've seen in some years, by the way, about 10,000 people come to Christ in a single year in Nigeria, many of them Muslim. And so those prayers are being answered so so encouraged. Well, as I collect stories, there was a deacon who was told ahead of time what his role was going to be at a missions conference banquet. And he was asked to be sensitive to the fact that there were going to be guests from foreign countries who were not accustomed to American culture and the English language. And so during the banquet, sure enough, this deacon, he found himself seated right next to a man that he knew for sure was not from America, probably spoke a different language. And uh, he's trying to figure out what do I say to this guy? You know, I'm not used to this. How do I communicate with this man? And he saw that he was devouring a, a uh, his portion of chicken for the banquet. He's trying to think of some way to communicate. And So he leaned over to the man and he said, "Chomp, chomp good, huh?" The man very quizzically looked back at him and just kind of groaned like, "Mm, good." Well, a little while later this this man from another country was enjoying a delicious cup of coffee and so the deacon again trying to figure out how to say something to this man he said that's glug glug good isn't it and again this visitor just kind of went good well a little while later much to the deacon's dismay the speaker for this banquet was introduced and it just happened to be this man who was seated right next to him this visitor and this man got got up and he gave a flawless oxford accented uh sermon i mean just perfect when he was all done, he actually made a beeline for the deacon. He said, that was blab, blab good, wasn't it? But <laughs> that was really cool. So, true story. Well, hey, let me pray as we start. We'll open the Word of God. Lord, I thank you so much for the joy of being together today. We just, we want to just have a great time in the Word and to be challenged and to, uh, particularly as you think about reaching uh, Eastern Michigan, as we think about reaching this area of the country and our world. Lord, really push us uh, like never before to, to step up, to hold forth the word of life as lights in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in his commentary in the book of Matthew, uh, Dr. John MacArthur uh, shares an amazing story about President Woodrow Wilson. I love this story. He talked about an experience that he had one day in a barber shop. He said this, and I quote, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered into the room. He said a man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut, and he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had just attended an evangelistic service, because it was Mr. D.L. Moody who was in the chair next to me. He said, I purposefully lingered in the room, and I noticed the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts, and I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. That's President Woodrow Wilson, end of quote. The impact of D.L. Moody on a barbershop. Who would ever think, right? Now, as you think about a story like that, you have to ask some questions. At least I asked some questions of myself. What kind of an effect does your life have on those who don't know Jesus Christ? Do people clearly see Jesus Christ in you? Is it obvious when you talk, do your words always evidence a commitment to Christ and a passion to share him with others? And here's a loaded question. When's the last time you actually opened your mouth and shared the the one thing that can can make the difference the word of life if you want to know god's heart and there's many things as we get into the word of god we understand what he wants but there's a major theme throughout the word of god particularly throughout the new testament we find that uh, what god wants is he wants us to be lights in this dark world now this sounds frankly really great on paper right looks good in the bulletin Uh, it's a great theme for a missions conference but I guess I want to remind us here this morning, and particularly as I represent Word of Life, a gospel ministry, that what God wants is he wants us to be very personal for us. It's not just for your pastoral staff. It's not just for those that work with the youth group. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. I'd like you to turn this morning to a very familiar text. We'll kind of jump ahead one book from where you are in your series right now, in the book of Ephesians to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. These are verses that you perhaps have memorized and know well. You've read them many times, but beginning in verse 14. And by the way, this is I love to speak on this text because this is the very text from which Word of Life takes its name. So you find it right here in these verses. And uh, so I want you to, as we look at these verses, I want you to understand and really catch four things about this light that we're supposed to be in this dark world, this light that's supposed to come from our lives. What does it really mean to shine as lights in this dark world? Philippians 2. Beginning in verse 14, one of our favorite verses, do all things without complaining and disputing. I could probably stop there, couldn't I? Uh, verse fi- Moving on, verse 15, before we get too convicted, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, here's that word of life verse, holding fast or holding forth the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, four things very quickly here this morning. What does Paul want us to understand? What does the Holy Spirit want us to understand about this whole concept of being a light in this dark world? Number one, it's very simple. We just read in verse 14, we need to avoid the pollution of light. We need to avoid the pollution of light. Do all things, not just most things, not just a few things, but do all things without complaining and without disputing. You said, great, what a way to begin a message here this morning. In fact, uh, I remember reading this verse as a, as a young man. I thought, is it even possible to live out this verse? Can I really obey what is said here in this text? And so what the Holy Spirit is doing as Paul was being brought along, carried along to write these words, is he's really putting his finger on the two things which I believe have, can have the most destructive impact on the light that's supposed to come out of our lives it doesn't take a whole lot to pollute and distort the light that comes out of our lives I'm from a small town in upstate New York called Scroon Lake so you've probably been there or heard about it at least and I want to tell you you say something the whole town hears about it. it just gets around it's probably the same here in Lapeer right what about this first word complaining it's interesting in the King James version it renders it as murmurings maybe you have that version there And I like what Charles Haddon Spurgeon once wrote. He said, the very word murmur, how simple it is, made up of two infantile sounds, murmur. I can almost hear him saying that, can't you? He says, no sense in it, no wit in it, no thought in it. It is a cry rather of a brute than of a man. Murmur, he says, just a double groan. And I happen to think, as I've read this text many times over, that Paul probably had in his mind the image of the very disobedient people of Israel and as you know their story and you trace that in the Old Testament you find that over and over again it's just like this habit they just couldn't keep couldn't help themselves with their complaining complaining against Moses and I don't think what they really realized when they complained against their leader they were complaining against God himself and so it brings the idea of muttering with discontent it's impatient criticism it's a bad attitude expressed with open and audible grumbling ever been there and done that I love the advice of author Mark Twain. We all have read some of his books. Here's the advice. He says, don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care. The other 20% will think you deserve them. That's pretty, pretty good advice right there. Erwin Lutzer, a dear friend of mine who has served at Moody Church uh, since retired, but he often would say, complaining about our lot in life might seem quite, in, quite innocent in and of itself, but God takes it personally. God takes it personally. And really, if you're not careful, this concept of complaining or murmuring, as we read here and think about this concept, if it's left unchecked, it can lead to the next thing, and that is disputing, which is really a word that has a legal connotation. It really is the idea of arguing. You probably figured that out. And it involves, I think, making excuses, rationalizing our actions, blaming others. It often stems from an unwillingness to, to forgive And so here's a good question for you this morning as you think about verse 14. How does complaining and arguing affect the light that's supposed to come out of our lives? You ever thought about that? How does it affect our witness as we represent Christ in a stark world? Think about it. A few things I wrote down some years ago for myself, just some very practical thoughts. Number one, when we go down that path, you can see it on the screen here, it causes us to miss opportunities because we lose our distinctiveness. We become just like everybody else, right? There is no marked difference in our lives. Now, I had the joy last night of uh, getting something we needed in our travels. And I went to a uh, Target not too far away from here, Auburn Hills area. And maybe you've been down there before. There's some outlets in that area and stuff. And so there I was with, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people. And I arrived at the front of the store. And uh, a lot of people in line. And every line had an issue. The register wasn't working, people's credit cards weren't functioning, there was a price check, and the line kept building and building, and there I am standing in line, and people, what happens when you're in line like that, right? You begin to talk with each other. You say things like, man, it's always like this in this place. Why don't they just hire more staff? I mean, you start to grumble, and maybe you go talk to customers, can you please open another line? This is nuts. We hate this place. They start talking, and, and maybe you enter into that. And so the moment that I begin to complain, and you know, I begin to argue... I become just like everybody else. I can't then turn to the person behind me in line, which I had last last night. I can't turn around and say to them, by the way, by the way, do you know Jesus Christ is your savior? I can't do that because once I've entered into that complaining and that arguing, I've become just like everybody else. There's no difference in my life. I've, I've really lost the effect that my light should have. You know what else happens? Number two, it gives people, when we go down this path, we give people an excuse. Really the excuse that this world is looking for, a reason to reject what we say and the testimony of Christ in our lives. Dr. Dwight Pentecost, he says, by the misuse of our tongue, we can send a man to hell. As I said, it doesn't take much to ruin our testimony. Here's one that maybe you haven't thought of before. When we go down this path of complaining and arguing, number three, you know what we're really communicating to the world around us? We're communicating that we don't really believe that God is in control and that he has our best interests in mind. You ever thought about that before? In essence, you're saying to your friends and your neighbors, the people around you, I don't really trust my God. I believe in God, but at this moment, I'm not trusting that he has me in the right place, the best place, that he has the best plan for my life. Talk about polluting the light that comes out of our lives. We need to avoid the pollution of light. It's not easy, is it? Verse 14 is a very difficult verse to apply to be consistent in that area. But it will destroy your testimony. Number two, as we think about being light, what it really means, we need to understand our priority is light, right? Understand your priority is light. Look again at verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault. You say, man, that sounds pretty tough. You know, what's the Apostle Paul talking about here? Is he talking about sinless perfection? No, he's actually not talking about it. No, no one is perfect here today. I know I'm far from that, of course. We all are. But he's talking about the idea of being without reproach, about being real, about being genuine. And our priority should be to live like a child of God, to be godly. And here's the concept of stand out as clearly as we possibly can, by God's grace, as a light against the dark background of this world, there should be a difference. And people should see it. Hey, there's something unique about your life. What's going on? Can you talk to me about that? The story is told of Gordon Maxwell. He was a missionary to the country of India who had a very positive reputation even in his early days. And he evidently asked a Hindu scholar, he said, hey, would you please teach me your language? And the scholar said, no, sir, I will not teach you my language because you would make me a Christian. And Maxwell said, you misunderstand me. I just just want you to teach me your language. And again, this scholar, this Hindu man replied, he said, no, sir, I will not teach you because no man can live with you and not become a Christian. Wow. Can the same be said about us? Talk about standing out clearly as light against the dark background of this world. So, we need to avoid the pollution of light. We need to understand our priority as light. Number three, we need to embrace our position as light, right? We need to embrace our position as light. You know, as you work your way through these verses, you quickly begin to, to understand, let it sink in, that this whole idea of being a light is not a, it's not a private thing, it's extremely public. Paul does not simply say there we're to be lights in our local church and we may need to be of course there's people that come here that don't know jesus christ and if that's you here today we'd love to introduce you to jesus christ what an amazing thing to have a personal relationship with him but you may need to be a light in your home but that's not really the concept here instead listen to what it says in verse 15 the second half it says that we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights where does it say in the world right in other words, God in his amazing plan, his infinite wisdom, and his sovereignty has placed us right here, right now, in the middle of the darkness. And you and I are positioned strategically in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You might say, man, I know, I see it, I don't like it. The term crooked, by the way, is, comes from a, a word in the original language. Uh, maybe you've heard the concept, it's the word scolios. And uh, you ever hear of scoliosis before? And so that's really a, it's kind of a medical term for curvature or misalignment of the spine. Um, interesting way to describe our world. Um, also, so the idea is bent, deformed, warped. Uh, perverse is an even stronger word. It means severely twisted <clears throat> or distorted. And so as you think about our world today, we live in a world where things have gotten a little friendlier in politics of late. We still live in a world today is becoming increasingly hostile and anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-church, anti-morality. It's just faith. It's where our world is. Things are not getting better, they're getting worse. We're right in the middle of a world that is rooted in behaviors and values and philosophies that go directly against what we know from this book to be true and what God wants. We're in a spiritual battle and God has put us right in the middle of this dark world so that really we can demonstrate the difference that jesus christ can make in a life right you know I, th- I think i was thinking this morning about there were many times our kids went to a public school uh in, in new york and it wasn't easy uh, there were some difficult moments but there was a distinction for them between darkness and light that they could see it pretty clearly i remember them coming home many times and being quite frustrated with friends or parents of friends and pointing out the sins of their friends and what they said and I'd, i we'd say at the dinner table in devotion time you know what guys this is this is the way the world is now we don't like it and we're to be salt and light but at the same time they don't know jesus christ as your savior this is what i expect them to do understand that and we need to show them the difference that christ can make in a life and so we need to embrace our position as life not always easy it can get a little discouraging can it as we wrestle with darkness as you think about the pollution of light, avoiding that, your, your priority is light, your position is light. You know, why has God put us here so that we can fulfill our purpose as light, right? Verse 16, that well-known verse to us, at word of life anyway, it says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, these words here, depending on what translation you have, uh, holding fast. It's an interesting concept. There's really two ways to, to uh, transliterate these words. One is holding fast or herding, holding the, the word of life firmly or tightly. We need to do that, of course. But I happen to believe in the context of shining as a light, this whole idea here, that the, maybe the better translation is actually holding forth, holding out the word of life. And as lights, think about this, our whole purpose is to offer something that will make a difference in the darkness, right? And what is the one thing that will really make the difference? There's a lot of good things that we can do, a lot of social efforts and community things we can get involved in. But I want to tell you this, one of the things I'm learning in a big way over the years is that it's taking the word of life to the world. That's what makes the biggest dent in the darkness. God's word does not return void. And I guess as you think about this concept, and this is all, we all know this, and you've probably memorized these verses and heard sermons on this, but as you think about the word of God, the word of life, and the power that it has, do we really believe it's what can make the difference? Let me tell you another story. I've, once again, I collect lots of stories from around the world. There was a great story some years ago that Uh, from our friends at the Gideon organization and I'm sure you've heard some yourselves but there was a young girl in the country of Columbia and uh, she received this little New Testament uh, at her school so there was a team down there in the country of Columbia handing out these New Testaments and she picked up one and she began to read it and she actually put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ pretty awesome story and she began to share Jesus with her friends and most importantly at this point with her father And her dad was actually a mining engineer in the country of Columbia worked in the mines nearby. And as he would hear her talk and and sharing about her love for Jesus that she had just found and the hope and and life that she found in him, he got so upset one morning. He said, I don't want you to ever read this book again. He took it away, put it in his pocket, and went off to the mines to work. Well, several hours later, the sirens went off, saying there had been a terrible cave-in at the mines. There had been a bad accident. And so happens, this young girl's father was trapped, along with 30 other workers. And it took re- rescue workers about five days to actually get to where these uh, men were working. And by the time they got there, they found all 31 of them were dead. But as they went into the, deeper into the, the place, they found her, this little girl's father in a praying position with this New Testament actually in his hands. So they took the New Testament away and, and opened it up, and they found he'd actually written his daughter a note. Listen very carefully, and I quote, he says, To my daughter, keep reading this New Testament. It is true and right, and I will see you again in heaven. That's the power of the word, isn't it? And so they turned to the back, and they, you know, the, the Gideon Bibles, a lot of times they have a little decision slip you fill out with your name and a date, and he had signed all that very dutifully. What they had missed, though, is in the back of that New Testament, Get this, they found the signatures of the 30 other men who died in that mine. All 31 had evidently trusted Christ. Now you start to think about that. There was no pastor in the mine that day. There was no missionary, just a little girl who had a New Testament that her dad had taken it away. And what happens is the word of God has power, has great impact. It changes lives. Because of that little book that we know is the Word of God, the Word of Life, thirty one people are in heaven. It's the word of life that makes the difference. Do you know what this means? Let's get very practical here just for a moment as I wind down. It means that being a light does not just involve living a good and clean and holy life. We need to. The Bible is very clear about that, of course. But I think it also involves, and this is difficult for some of us because we kind of shy away from this. We leave it to other people. But I believe it also involves opening our mouths to share the word of life. I don't see any other way around it. We all have our roles, I get it, but we need to be sharing the word of in our own context and our, I love to call them our great commission circles that God puts around us, opening our mouths and allowing the Lord to just use those words as we share his word to impart life into this dark world, life and light. Charles Haddon Spurgeon again said this, to shine his lights, we must add the open testimony of our words. He said, I won't give you a rusty nail for your religion if you can be quiet about it. That which is nearest to the heart is generally most on the tongue. You must be bearing witness by the words of your mouth for Christ. So I take you back to where we started here this morning, this whole idea of being a light. It's not just a missions conference theme. It's not just something we just talk about periodically at church, but it must be intensely personal. So what does God want from you? Anytime you read the word of God, you have to ask that question. I shared this yesterday in our conference. You asked the question. It's really two words. All right, God, so what? What do I do with this? How do I respond to this? Our tendency is to walk away and say, that was, that was great. You know, God's word spoke to me. But what are we going to do? How do we act upon this? Well, some years ago now, and something I even did this morning, I was very convicted. Here I am working for an evangelistic organization. I've got to get serious every day about sharing my faith can't just leave it up to our missionaries or our local church ministry staff but it involves me and my family what am i going to do about this so in a very simple way i began to pray began to cry out to god It began once a week and i began every day to just simply utter a simple prayer god would you give me someone today that i can hold forth the word of life to very simple prayer it is one of the most amazing and i'll put dangerous prayers i've ever prayed in my life you will not believe what God will do right here in this area if you're willing to just say, you know what, I'm just going to every day, maybe it's once a week, maybe just maybe you start once a month. God, would you give me someone this month that I can talk to that I can hold forth the word of life to? And I can tell you a story after story after story of how God has literally dropped people in my lap. It is crazy the things that have happened. As I look back and see all God orchestrating different things. We, I think about Jessica and her coming to Christ and now her two kids and all because of an airplane trip that I wasn't supposed to be on and just crazy, crazy stuff. I remember one day I was going to be flying over to Europe, and as I went down to the Albany Airport, which is the closest airport to us, I was going to catch the flight. I found, as so often the case, hopefully it doesn't happen today, but there was a cancellation of my flight. And so I ended up in Boston about uh, 13 hours later, and I figured I could have walked to Boston by the time I got there. But there I was and I was, uh, my prayer had been that morning, would you give me someone that I could talk to about you that I want to hold forth the word of life to? And as I prayed that prayer, I, it kind of changed to a frustrated prayer, Lord, would you give me an empty seat on the airplane across to Europe because I just want to sleep. I am worn out. This has been a frustrating day and I just want to rest. And so I got into the airplane finally, I was headed across somewhere to Europe, I think to Germany or something. And the uh, seat was empty. I was like, this is great. Thank you, God. What a blessing. I'm going to sleep this whole time over. And a man quickly plopped himself down next to me. and said, oh, it's been a rough day. I've been bouncing all over the country. And well, that's interesting. This is probably my guy, probably the guy that God wants me to talk to. So I said, sir, what do you do? He said, well, I'm actually a professional musician. I'm a saxophonist. I'm going to be playing a concert in Sweden. A long pause. And he finally said, so what do you do? I always have a choice when people ask me that question. I can say I work for a nonprofit organization uh, with children and teenagers. I, uh, you know. I can kind of deflect and all that. And I said, sir, um, we have a long flight ahead of us. I'm just going to tell you straight up what I do. I said, sir, I have given my life. And I've never said this, said this before to anyone. He said, I've given my life to tell people about Jesus Christ, and particularly young, young people and children. And I'll never forget in, in my whole life what this man said. His response blew me away. Because he got, he got very excited. He said, no way. He said, no way, sir. I've been wanting to talk to someone about Jesus Christ for months, and here you are. I thought you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so the next eight hours, instead of sleeping, we talked. I don't know if he's trusted Christ yet, but what an amazing thing to think about how God, in just a very amazing way, if you're willing to pray a prayer like, how would you give me someone in my neighborhood, at the convenience store, at the bank, someone at my school, Would you give me someone that I can hold forth the word of life, that I can sow the seed, begin to share the word? Because it's the word of God that makes the difference. The gospel changes lives. What is your life really about? When's the last time you shared that precious word of life? Let me pray for you. Lord, as we think about these thoughts, it's just so convicting for me as we think about the busyness of our lives. We have so much going on. So many priorities, and yet we know that you've placed us here to represent you, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to really share the one thing that will make the difference in the darkness. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have of uh, being positioned right now in in this world. And yes, a very crooked and perverse generation. But Lord, I pray that many here today will be willing to pick up the baton and just perhaps on a weekly basis or a daily basis or maybe once a month just say God would you give me someone that I can talk to that I can hold forth the word of life to it's not easy our mouths run dry we don't know what to say but we know that your word does not return void Lord help us and help us to avoid the pollution of light it's really where it starts to not distort the testimony that's supposed to come out of our lives in Jesus name amen
0: Could I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and ask Anna to play through a stands on the piano. And very simply today, I just wanna challenge you to talk to your God. I suspect that many here have had a conviction about sharing their faith, whether it be sharing a testimony with a neighbor or giving out a track. I wanna challenge you while the song's playing to revisit that thought. If it's convicting, that's okay. Talk to your God, that simple question that was put out, who could I share your light with today? Maybe you're here today, you've not accepted Christ. You can do that this very day, even during this hour. There's no greater decision you can make. We would invite you to do that.